It is so good to see you guys. It is so good to see you guys. Oh my gosh. All right, I got to turn this on. <gasps> good. Nice big font. Um, Y'all should have a handout. And I, okay, God wrote this message. So if you don't like it, I'm sorry. You have to talk to him about it because he wrote it. But there is so much scripture involved that I actually wrote it all down in the front of there so that you could, you could, you know, be ahead of the game if you want. I'm going to put it on the screen, but I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about Jesus because, because he said so, and, and because many of you probably already know the story of the gospel, and you know the good news of Jesus. But you know what? There's something rich about looking at it again and saying, oh, God, oh, God, I can't get over how much you love me. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to be teary the whole time. And you can ask me all the whys you want. It won't matter. So thank you. And let us, let's just dive in. Um, why Jesus? Why do we really want to know who Jesus is? You know, I'm one of those that I can, I can very easily say, well, I believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died on the cross and raised from the dead, and he, he forgave me of my sins, and now I asked him into my heart, and, and the Holy Spirit lives in my heart, and, and I know how to say all that, and you know what? It sounds like Christianese to the world out there. They don't know what I'm talking about. They don't understand this, you know, died and rose, and he lives in my heart and all, and I'm discovering that there's a lot of people that call themselves religious, or they call themselves a Christian, and they don't even know what that means. I mean, they kind of know, but they don't know. So there's a, there's a few different ways that, that I've put up there. So there's people that say, I'm religious, right? Then there's people that say, I believe in God. There are people that say, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian, and I'm a follower of Jesus. There is nothing wrong with any one of those. But if we want to know what that means, we need to know what that means. People who say, yes, I believe in God, and I go to church, and I'm at this very moment, I'm sitting in a Christian teaching in a church because I'm a Christian. Some people, it's because of where they are and what they do. I go to church, sit in Bible teachings, so I'm a Christian, and that's good. And maybe even, I asked Jesus into my heart, and and he changed something. I think different and I feel different and my heart's different, but I don't even really know what that means. And I don't know what's happening. And when I try to explain to my friends, I sound weird. But sadly, too many people basically say, I believe in God and I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? And unfortunately, they get offended when you say, no, it's not enough. It's not enough. And then you, you know that there's a lot of people that can say, I believe in God, and that's actually socially okay, especially in the United States, I believe in God. But as soon as you drop that J word, everybody goes, oh, there's a Jesus freak in the room. They just said, and then suddenly you're a party killer. Nobody wants to hang out with a Jesus freak. I had an aunt that used to say, um, a little bit of religion is good, but too much just makes people uncomfortable. And you know what? I completely agree with her. Too much religion makes me uncomfortable. But I'm not talking about religion. Although many people who are, who are Christians call it a religion, and that's okay. But Jesus, 
that's a different story. Because a relationship with God comes only through a man named Jesus, and there is nothing religious about it. That's like saying, I play football. I'm a football player. Watch me play football. I have one question. Who's the quarterback, and what, what do we need him for? Right? So who's Jesus? This man who walked on the earth, this man that we really only have record of from his birth, which was pretty spectacular. I recommend you read about it. Um, and then a little story of him when he was a small boy and his parents lost him on vacation. And I don't think that's weird. I've lost my children many times, only once on purpose. And, and, but Jesus' ministry was a short three years. But because of Jesus, religion was completely flipped upside down. So if we claim to be any of the descriptions that I listed before, we should know what we, what we believe and why we claim to be that. And the best book for us to read for more understanding about God or religion is found in this incredible historic book. There are accounts of Jesus. There are letters written to churches. There's, you know what I'm talking about. So that's what we're going to look at a lot this morning. So, um, and this is also the same book that gives hundreds of written accounts of this man named Jesus. So let's start there. The very first mention of God is in Genesis, and that's where we read that he created earth. And then he designed this perfect, amazing, and beautiful garden. And then he designed this beautiful likeness of himself in a man that we call Adam. And because God designed us to love and desire companionship, he wanted Adam to have a companion. I love that he didn't just say, I'm just going to keep Adam all to myself. He knew that Adam needed a partner. He needed a, a friend. He needed a companion, a helper, he's called. He needed someone to love, and a woman was created. A woman, amen, and her name was Eve. This was the perfect existence, a beautiful love story. And there was one rule. One, you and I have thousands of rules. They had one rule. Do not eat the fruit from the tree of good and evil in the middle of the garden. And you know what? If if, if you have any understanding, or even if you're a parent, you know that God didn't make up a rule just so that he could punish them if they broke the rule. You know that, right? God said, don't do that, because he knew it would harm them. He knew it would harm all of them, everyone. And then a serpent or a snake manipulated Eve. And if you read about it, I've read about this. And you know what? We can't judge her too harshly, because the enemy manipulated. He twisted it. He got her thinking, wait, did he say that it would kill us? Wait, did he say that? And, and he messed with her. And I honestly, I probably would have done the same thing. I probably would have. But now Adam, Eve just said, oh, I tasted this. We're not supposed to have some. He goes, okay. You know, I say that to be silly. But the moment that that happened, everything changed perfect, beautiful existence, everything changed. And you can read about it. That's when suddenly shame entered the garden because suddenly they knew they were naked. 
And they had no shame before that. And suddenly guilt arrived because they knew they did something wrong because they went and they hid. And then suddenly blame shows up. God, it's that woman that you gave me, so somehow it's God's fault. So say you're sorry and we'll just move along. Somehow now blame has come into this perfect place. Sin entered the garden and our perfect earth and garden. I'm going to take a moment, though. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to address two things that I hear all the time. First of all, what is sin really? What is that? I mean, we don't even use that word very often. It's not like, you know, if, if your kid is picking on his little sister, and we say, you know, you've sinned against your sister. Go repent and ask for her forgiveness. We don't do that. That's not normal dialogue. But sin is anything that separates us from something from something, from something good. Sin separated us from God. And then I've been asked this question too. Why would God create humans that could sin? You know, I started studying that and looking up, and I've got all this great Christianese that I could give you, but I asked someone who I think is amazing. I asked my husband this question, and I'm going to tell you what he said. God didn't create humans who could sin. He created humans to have a desire to love and to be loved. And in order to do this, he had to create humans to have a will. Isn't that profound? You can't truly love something if you don't have a choice. We have to be given a choice to truly love, and God truly wanted us to be able to love. And Adam and Eve were given a choice to do right or wrong, and they chose the tree of wisdom over love. Ever since that moment, God has been chasing us in order to redeem us because he wants to be with us. God wants to reconcile with us because he wants to be with us more than we want to be with him. That's profound. He wants to reconcile with us because he wants to be with us more than we want to be with him. The creator of the universe wants to be with you so badly, so badly. Does that sound like that, that hell and damnation, God, Bible-thumping religion that some of you might have grown up in? No, no. We have a God that is chasing us, chasing us. So God's plan for reconciliation comes in the form of a Messiah. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked on the earth, God began telling people that his plan of reconciliation was through a Messiah. And his message was sent through the prophet. So if you're anything like me, I'm, I'm a nerdy. I want to look up exactly what a prophet is. So I'm going to read to you the description. The office of prophet was instituted during the days of Samuel who was the last of the judges. Some of you might remember that, that, um, that there used to be that God told the judges what to do and the priests what to do, and they made sure the people did it. Well, the last set of judges were unjust. They were, they were bad. So then it went on to a king. But prophet stood with the priests as God's special representative. Their role was to speak for God, confronting people, and their leaders to remind them of God's commands 
and his promises. The better they were at their God-given role, the more the people didn't like them. Nobody likes to be told Isaiah was one of the most outspoken prophets that although he eventually uh, became unpopular because, again, he was telling them what they didn't want to hear, um, he, was, he was a prophet in ministry for 60 years, and in the end, they executed him. They didn't like him so much to, of, of what he was saying. But the book of Isaiah is, is actually the first writings of the prophets to be in our Bible, to, that we find in our Bible, and he was considered the greatest prophet. The first few chapters of Isaiah are filled with, with his call to Judah and Israel and all the surrounding nations to repent and turn from their sin. But he also, Isaiah starts unfolding this, this promise of God that there's a reconciliation coming, and it's coming through a Messiah. So I want to start with Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. All right, first one. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is King David's dad, if you all don't know that. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. I love this description of this Messiah that is coming. And when he says he is going to judge not by what he sees, but what is righteous, that means he's gonna be fair. Because the last few judges, you won your case if you had the most money or you could move their standing. You, you didn't get a fair trial. And, and God is saying through Isaiah, I'm going to send you someone who's going to give justice to the poor of the earth. He's going to be just. God, the creator of the world, the one who loves us more than we love him, is sending a Messiah who will be all brilliant. A hundred years later, the prophet Jeremiah, who was not nearly as popular as Isaiah, but he was a very well-loved prophet by God because he unapologetically and fearlessly told people what God told him to tell people. So if we look at Jeremiah 33, starting in verse 14, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Remember, David is just the son. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. He's sending a Savior. He's sending someone to save us from what happened in the garden. So this is what he's sending from what we just read from the prophet. God is sending someone to reconcile us back to him. He will come from the stump of Jesse, which is King David. 
He will do what is right and what is just. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and he will be the Lord, our righteous Savior. So now let's go to the New Testament because this is where we begin to read about a man named Jesus who thousands of people began to believe that he was this Messiah. The first time we read about um, the man named Jesus is, is through what we, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and these books were written by four guys who spent a whole lot of time with Jesus. But again, I want to read just the commentary of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It says, in Christian tradition, the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the authors attributed with the creation of the four gospel accounts in the New Testament that bear the following titles, gospel according to Matthew, gospel according to Mark, gospel according to Luke, and gospel according to John. Gospel means the good news, and they were considered the evangelists uh, at that time. I want to start with the book of Mark, and there's two reasons I want to do that. Number one, Mark was actually written first, um, not Matthew. And, it's, it, and what's great is that lots of the Gospels actually refer back to the writings of Mark. The other thing that's really interesting about Mark is he was not a disciple. He was described as the um, secretary or interpreter to Matthew. And eventually he went on and he traveled with Paul on Paul's first crusade. So, it, so Mark saw a lot. Mark was in the midst of, of Jesus and Jesus' life, as well as the beginning of the church with Paul. So I love Mark. Um, also, because Mark starts by quoting Isaiah. He skips over the birth of Jesus and the genealogy, which you're going to find in, in other Gospels. But Mark does include more miraculous stories about Jesus than any other Gospel. And like I said, he begins by quoting um, Isaiah. So let's go to Mark 1. And start in verse 1. And right out of the gate, he says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. He said, there's no questions here. I'm telling you about the good news. It's Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And Isaiah told us all about him. Remember? In Isaiah 40, he told us all about him. He says, this is who he is. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So we have prophets for 100 years that have been telling that the Messiah was coming, and now we're told that there's going to be a messenger that's going to go ahead of him to prepare the way. It's like leaving markers. This is, here he comes. Here he is. Now, who is he referring to, that messenger? John the Baptist, that's right. So let's look at John the Baptist and see how he fits into the who is Jesus story. Um, I'm going to continue in Mark, starting at verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. I'm going to stop just a minute here. Mark says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. Okay, I think he's exaggerating a little bit. You know, it's just like when I say, well, mom, everybody's going to be there. And she goes, well, no, I won't be there and your dad won't be there. No, but I think he's trying to say thousands of people 
were flocking to go see John the Baptist. And in verse 6, it says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I think it's just because they didn't know which guy in the wilderness would be hollering about the Messiah, so it's like, it's the weird one. It's that one. It, it, you can't miss him. And in verse 7, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I want to look at that. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This didn't make any sense. You know why? The Holy Spirit, as you and I know, is God, right? Well, they believe that too, but he lived in the temple. He lived in a building back in the holies of holies with curtains and all. He was a building God. How in the world would this Holy Spirit be something that we could be back? We'll explain that later. So thousands of people went flocking to see John the Baptist because they actually thought that he might be the Messiah. If you want to read the whole story about John the Baptist, Luke does a really good um, uh, interpretation of that or, or story of that. So, but then something incredible happened. I mean, something incredible happened. Look in verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Okay, wait a minute. This man comes down to the water. John goes, it's him, it's him. They have this little conversation of, I can't baptize you. And Jesus says, no, you have to baptize me because I want people to follow me and I want them to do what I do, so you got to baptize me. And then the heavens open up and a voice. They didn't have speaker systems or microphones back. A voice from heaven says, that's my son. That just blows me away. That's my son. You want to know who the Messiah is? There he is. There he is. For hundreds of years, God told us he was coming. We were told a guy in the wilderness would proclaim him, and then God stopped everything at a baptism and said, This should make you sit up and take notice. I want to refer to one more account that is also found in Mark, but I want to read it out of Matthew because this is another one of those that it, that it just, it floors me. So I'm going to go to Matthew 8, starting in verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Jesus had just done all kinds of miracles. He actually just healed Peter's mother-in-law. And he gets into a boat, and his disciples follow him. Suddenly, a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Do you ever feel like you're in the middle of a storm and God's sleeping? 
You see me? The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? God's sleeping in your boat. Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. He said, ocean, stop it. Wind, knock it off. Stop. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this that the winds and the waves obey him? They did not say, what kind of religion is this? They said, what kind of man is this? This is just two of the incredible stories that caused thousands of people to believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah and that God had been telling us about him for hundreds of years. The New Testament is filled with hundreds more, but none of these stories or written accounts are actually the answer to why we need Jesus. You see, while Jesus was on this earth, he spent only three years doing miracles, which they referred to as signs because a sign always pointed to something or, or someone or something greater. But while Jesus was on this earth, he taught people to follow him. He told people that he was the way. He was the truth. He was the life. And that he was God. And there was no way to God except through him. This man, this carpenter, this prophet, this miracle. And thousands believed him that he was the son of God. But something happened. The Romans killed him. They killed him. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus told everybody to follow him, not a religion, not even God, because he said he was God. And now he's dead. They don't know what to do with dead. Jesus. A man who came from a humble family with no money to speak of and no status. In three years, he convinced thousands that he was the son of God. Even God opened up the heavens and shouted, my son. And suddenly, it's over. He's dead. What do we do with this? All hope is gone. No one was going to write down the stories and the miracles that they had seen. No one was going to begin to preach about Jesus being the Messiah because they must have been wrong. Then, three years and three days later, there was an event. Go to Matthew 20. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. 
He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Come look. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Not only have I told you, you will see Over the next 40 days, Jesus was seen by more than 500 people. He ate meals with people. He even had Thomas touch his wounds. He made a point of finding his little brother James, that all this time James did not believe that his brother, his big brother, was the son of God. After, James was one of the loudest advocates, my big brother, God. Now go to Acts chapter 1, because Luke not only wrote the gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts, which which is this bridge between the gospels and the letters that began the first church. And he's writing a letter to Theopolis, starting in verse 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist baptized with water. A few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Remember how we read that John the Baptist said that that they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit was leaving the temple. It was leaving the building. You want to know what temple it's going into? You and me. That's why the Bible says that we are a temple of God. He moved out of a building into us. Why? Because he loves us so much. He wants to be Why do we need Jesus? Because Jesus' death and resurrection is what reconciles us back to God. And anyone who can predict their own death and resurrection, you should listen. Why do we need Jesus? Because Jesus came to change everything. After Jesus ascended into heaven, we have record of at least one other person who had an encounter with Christ. It was a man who was traveling far and wide to kill anybody who was sharing the story of Jesus. He was trying to kill anyone who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He was trying to kill anyone that was gathering together in what are considered churches, which was was people. They would gather together under trees and at wells, and they would talk about, did you hear about Jesus? He's God. Did you hear he died and he rose from the dead? They were gathering together. And this man 
was chasing after these people and slaughtering them and killing them. And he was on a road heading to Damascus to kill more people who believed in Jesus. And he had an encounter with Jesus. After Jesus was already in heaven, he had an encounter on the road to Damascus. We know him as the apostle. His name was Saul. Then he became an apostle who wrote about Jesus that transformed him. That is a miracle. So we're going to read what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians as we finish up here. 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start at verse 15. This is what Paul wrote to one of those churches that was developing in Corinth. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we no longer Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, we, he, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them any. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making us appeal, his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's, there's two things in there that we're learning. Not only that we've been forgiven and that there's reconciliation, but now we're supposed to go tell others about the reconciliation. On Christ's behalf, we owe it to him to tell others because anyone can have it. Everyone can have it. And we're supposed to tell people. Maybe you already know what it means to accept and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he has, has been reconciled. He reconciled us back to God. Maybe you already know what that is. And maybe you already have invited the Holy Spirit to live in, in your heart. But maybe not. Reconciliation is a gift from God. But you have to ask. And then you have to receive. And I'm going to give you all a chance to do that. You have not. But if you already know and you believe, I'm going to challenge and encourage you to be an ambassador for Christ and tell others, because God wants everyone, even those that are evil enough to be murdering Christians, was saved. So why Jesus? Because he's the only way to reconcile back to God. And because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, God, here, not built. And because when that happens, you become new. You become new. I also hope today that I've encouraged you to seek to know Jesus, to study the things that he talked about, 
those three years he was on this earth because. I stole this quote because I love it. If we were to study and then apply the teachings of Jesus, our lives would be better, and we would be better. Heavenly Father, I'm, I'm in awe of how much you love me, how much you love every single one. I'm in awe that you chase me because you want to reconcile. Father, if there's anyone in this room right now that is ready to say, I want to be reconciled to Christ. I want to be reconciled back to God. I believe in Jesus. Even just a little bit. I don't have to understand it all, but I believe in Jesus. I pray right now. And I pray that they'll raise their hand. I want to pray. Father God, we believe in your son. We believe that he came to this earth and that he died and that he rose again. And we believe in this, this Christ that was an event that happened, not a religion. We believe that we're forgiven of our sins. They will no longer hold us back, God. And I pray that as of today, we're going to walk out of here and be Thank you, God. We pray this.